With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. Uh, let's get going here. Um, we have a whole lot of Marquette topics uh, to get to after the cornucopia of basketball content. Over this. Thanksgiving another, reference. Another good word. Just right Thanksgiving off the bat. reference. It was a Thanksgiving pun, too. It, it was... That's intentional. Yeah, I never hear that word. Pat's been thinking about this for at least three and a half days. No, dude. (laughs) Straight up improv that. And honestly, I don't think I've ever received such unanimous approval from you guys for any of my wordplay. So it's deeply deeply appreciated. This podcast Um, exists to lift each other up. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely definitely how it always plays out with the zero exceptions. (laughs) Um, anyhow, uh, yeah, uh, welcome to another episode of the Anonymous Eagle Podcast with Sam and Ben. I'm Patrick. Um, Marquette, uh, just wrapped a two-in-one week at the Orlando Classic, Orlando Invitational, excuse me, uh, the, the formerly sponsored by a pyramid scheme, Orlando Invitational. Um, it was generally positive, and... It's about what you could have asked for. I mean, obviously we were riding high after, you know, going 2-0 and to start um, and sort of got brought back down to earth. But if you would have told me before this tournament that we'd look that convincing and then just run into a top five buzzsaw, I would have believed you. So like, I think uh, I think it'd be a good way to start off that conversation. We should go around and say on a scale from one to ten, how do we feel about the weekend? Like ten being good, like I feel really, really good, or ten like yeah, oh my ten, god, ten, ten being national title contenders. Wow, okay, yeah. ten, ten, ten being good. Yeah, ten being good. Yes. Um, I'm at like a. I'm gonna be that guy. I'm at like a seven, maybe seven point two five. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, Davidson struggled. Um, to start the year, but that's still a very good mid-major team um, going to compete. Although Dayton, you know, looks like the team to beat in the A-10. That's still a conference with Davidson, VCU, um, amongst others that are going to be very good. And then, um, you know, absolutely, yeah, it takes Herculean effort from Marcus Howard, but absolutely blowing a USC team with a bunch of ridiculous athletes and future NBA prospects. You know, we can debate the how good... Andy Enfield is at his job and you know um just how good that team really is as a team but we beat a lot of very good players in USC and not not just not just you know eked out a victory like prove that we can compete with teams that you know at least maybe not according to Ken Palm but the eye test sort of look on our level so um or you know to maybe the general public yeah, USC should be as good as Marquette this year, you know, quote unquote, like to come away with two very good wins um, and yeah, shellacking at the hands of a top five team. I have no complaints about that. Um, the not every team is going to be 
the combination of ridiculous athletic perimeter defenders that Maryland could throw at Marcus Howard and also the offensive skill of um, Maryland. It, it was just a perfect storm of ways we could get beat, and we did. I, I, what can you do? It is what it is. Um, I That was the actually the only loss I predicted um, in the non-conference, so I saw it coming, quote-unquote. Thank you for your service. <laughs> um, Pat, what about you? Uh, I'm a six, and I would be... And there was such a good opportunity there for, but enough, <laughs> but also let me get on to my Marquette assessment. No, um, no, nice. I, nice. there was such a good opportunity. I'm just kind of disappointed you guys did. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, I like it. I like it. Um, the, uh, I don't know. I'd be lower honestly too. If, uh, if it wasn't for how well Brendan Bailey played on, on Sat- Sunday and I'll let you handle that in your, um, section of uh joyous outburst ben but uh yeah i don't know i think this is kind of how this team is um and has been and i guess five years in sort of expecting it to be any different is not really reasonable um this team is very talented has a lot of offensive ability and does not beat high major teams that are better coached than it in a lot of circumstances, in most circumstances. Um, and I think it really boils down to um, does the other team have a game plan for how to defend Marcus Howard? If the answer is yes, the winning percentage goes down considerably. And USC, I would say, is coached by one of the you know, I've been speculating about this, but I don't know how many, you know, what are there? If you count the Big East as a high major conference, which you should in basketball, um, there's about 70 high major coaches. Um, Go higher than that because people will insist you include the AAC. Um, Well, I I will not do that. And those (laughs) Those you can, can you can include the top half of the AAC. No, I will not do any of the AAC. The AAC is terrible and does not deserve to be treated. Um, Which but anyway, say it's a high major team. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> um, but no, like in that group of six conferences, Steve Wojciechowski is better than oh, I don't know, fifteen of those coaches. Twenty, maybe, if I'm being if I'm feeling good on a nice day. Um, and Andy Enfield is not one of those coaches that is better than Steve Wojciechowski. And so Marcus Howard is able to score 51 points and Marquette smokes USC start to finish with some legitimately nervy stretches, even though the lead was as high as 30. Um, and so then you get to Maryland and, you know, Mark Turgeon isn't really regarded as amazing coach at high major program with a lot of history, but the adjustment made to defend Marcus Howard was very, very clear and obvious. And it completely took Marquette out of the game and there needs to be, and you know what, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get overly frustrated about losing to a top five team, 
but there needs to be a counter plan for teams that are going to try to do that exact same thing in the future. Um, switching, switching on Marcus Howard as he's running through to try to get space. Because I think, you know, against USC, Marcus was running all over the place. None of the defenders could hang with him by the third screen. And he went and scored 51 points. If teams are going to make that big of an adjustment to take him out of the game, there needs to be a counter adjustment and a counter plan. Because even if Brendan Bailey scores 30 points, which amazing stuff, Marquette cannot win serious basketball games without Marcus Howard at least having a good offensive game. And Marquette's two losses have been games where Howard has been completely taken out of it for large stretches, um, if not the entire game. So, um, yeah, I, that, that's where I'm at. I, I'm, I'm not super optimistic about this team going forward. I'm very happy that they avoided disaster scenario and got at least two reasonably quality wins. Um, both are Ken Palm B wins and probably will stay as Ken Palm B wins. Um, and I'm good with that. Um, I'm not going to be as good with it if they lose to Kansas State on Saturday. And yeah, not- Kansas State isn't good. No. Like no. at all. But, but Marquette needs to be prepared to win in a raucous road environment, regardless of whether Kansas State is good. Wisconsin isn't good. Marquette was not prepared to win in a raucous road environment and played terribly. So it's like, they're, if they lose that game, then it's pretty much every opportunity on the non-con has been relatively squandered um, besides Purdue. And uh, it's, it's concerning. Um, yeah. and, it, and it'll all come down and the, a, big, a good Big East season um, will be required to make the tournament, let alone position themselves for any sort of success. So... Obviously, that's the case regardless, but it, it just doesn't make you if – they, if they go lose that game and I look at what they've done over, over the course of the non-conference season because the rest of the games are pretty negligible, um, it, it's pretty much you look at it and you said, okay, how is this team good? And it's Marcus Howard needs to score 40. And, and if that's going to be the case, then obviously this team is going to be super inconsistent because Marcus Howard's not going to score 40 every game, and the team needs to have an adjustment um, that it can make to get him open if teams are just keying on him completely. Yeah, uh, I think I can kind of uh, build off that with, uh, first off, my score from the weekend is a 5.9. The only reason point one was taken off of the 6 was because uh, I had to listen to Dan Dockage just scream in my ear. True. That's true. Um, but Twitter later. Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, that was the thing. Um but yeah, um the Davidson game was uh, pretty close but and Davidson has not been good so far this year, but that they're going to improve and they're going to get some good wins and a very very good A10. So I think that'll end up being a pretty solid win. Uh I see the USC win probably being a little bit worse over the course of the year, but honestly played good enough to the point that doesn't really matter if they didn't really struggle at all um yeah I, I again i don't mind losing to maryland much at all like how they could have lost by like they could have been down by like 
10 to 15 over the course of the entire game, I probably wouldn't have minded that much. It's uh, the fact that they got kicked in the face with that very early initial momentum. And like, you just kind of see these uh, teams, like obviously every everyone's game plan, number one, two, three is going to be stop Marcus Howard, but teams like Maryland, uh, probably Seton Hall, Villanova, those are the guys that are, those are the teams that are going to have guys that are going to be able to switch like that and stop him by double teaming and being able to get back on their own guys. Like Aaron Wiggins was just tremendous yesterday. So was, uh, oh, what was that guy? Morsel, Morsel, whatever. Um, Those guys are incredible defenders for that team. And so, they were able to switch off effectively and be able to guard their own guys for the most part. Uh, the problem was that their Wojo well, essentially has two planes of action for Marcus Howard, which is get the John to get on that high ball screen and see if he can uh, be open for a three or get him off the ball and run him from one side to the other. And, when you're switching guys on those screens, it's hard to get them open on those. Uh, but then Wojo just didn't really do much else beyond that. Like, I'm not the coach. I'm not looking at film. But I know that there are more than two ways to get the best score in the country to get the ball. And that was a good portion of the reason why they ended up being doubled up in the first half. And I just, like, don't I, get I, I don't yeah, get it. it a big game like that and like hmm i wonder if they'll take away my best player if they do that maybe i'll have a backup plan yeah yes yeah exactly and again maryland is very very good i came away pretty impressed with them i'm gonna watch them a lot more in the big 10 this year and yeah they did have a lot of momentum clearly like they were fired up for this game but to me if you're trying to get a decently high in the tournament that can only that should only take a team so far to get a lead on you. Like that should probably translate to a 10 point margin of victory at halftime, not a 21. And so it kind of, uh, that kind of dampened things for me. Uh, but again, I'm, I'm overall optimistic, I guess I came out of the weekend in a better position than I came into it. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think, I, I think there was legitimate concern, from us everywhere. Wait, I did. Wait, hang on. I didn't even. I didn't even talk about Brendan. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. F the haters. Uh, anyone who doubted him, I never doubted him. Not one bit. I. You do not have to go on my Twitter and look at the times that I might have even mentioned that Brendan Bailey might not be having the greatest start to the year. I never said that. Never. Game, not once. Game. He, MVP, he, game MVP in a twenty-one point loss, according to Ken Bob. <laughs> but also, he was, like, legitimately, like, great. Like, that was – it's not like grasping at straws. Like, oh, this role player kind of had a good game, you know? Like, maybe something can happen from that. Like, no, he was legitimately amazing. He was – he had the most confidence that I've ever seen from him. He was, like, pulling up off the dribble. He was doing the Sam Hauser pick and pop. He was – and he was, like, playing great defense. He had that one – Steel, like, very uh, low on the block, just came out of nowhere, stole from Jalen Smith's hand. And so, yeah, like, if he can tap into that, like, just a little bit more consistently over the course of the year, then my take will be absolutely correct. 
something I want to, a couple of things on Brendan Bailey. First of all, he made seven three-pointers in that game, which is absolutely amazing. That's Marcus Howard numbers. Yeah. yeah. Second, second thing is he had 25 points in the preceding six games and scored 27 on, on Sunday, which is hilarious to me. Um, what, a, what a time to be alive. Um, it, yeah, yeah, I think Brenna Bailey, um, I, I guess if you want to go positive on the Maryland game, um, Brennan Bailey and Car Annam really did a nice job of offering secondary scoring options in like a really, like they both played really authoritatively on offense. Um, Sakar maybe more in like the second half, uh, but they both were pretty solid second options, um. I just I don't think it's possible. and they and they needed to be because uh, right. Kobe McEwen kind of played like the guy that worried us a little bit going into the year, like the kind of guy he was at Utah State, uh, just high yeah. volume, low efficiency. Well, yeah, I mean that's a whole other conversation. I think that we'll probably get into, but I just think in general, Marquette's not going to be able to win if if uh, Marcus Howard uh, doesn't get as an at you know he doesn't need to score forty, he doesn't need to score fifty one. But he can't score six. Um, and bold take, Pat. Very bold take. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think part of the problem is that even though, like, obviously you need your best player to play well to win games, but I think part of the problem is he's still such a, um, he's not a liability on defense. I don't want to call him that because I don't think that accurately reflects his commitment to, uh, you know, getting stronger and improving. But he is. But if he's not offering the offensive uh, boost and he's not playing, you know, he's like missing shots and, you know, leading and contributing to empty possessions. And on top of that, not offering much as a defender just by virtue of his size. Uh, it's a real problem. Um, it, it's just you just have like and, and he's a great player that you need to try to get all the opportunities as possible. But when he's having a bad game, you have a really negative player on the court. So it, I think that's part of why so much of what he does offensively is so crucial to victory for Marquette. Because he is ultimately such a swing player um, on either side. Yeah. Um, Kobe McEwen. Um, Tournament to forget. Yeah, I mean, really just a difficult to explain terrible offensive weekend um because yeah he's rattling around over there sorry that's me i'm getting my tupperware out (laughs) wow that's real 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 behind the scenes Ben, (laughs) ben fully committed and focused on the podcast um hey boys gotta eat so I, I would just say in general, um, it probably was uh, a, a weekend to forget for Kobe. Um, I don't really know. It was just really frustrating. Um, and I think he's a player you honestly probably leave on the court to try to get through the offensive uh, struggles. Uh, because uh, I think I saw Alan Bukowski tweeting about how well he was doing as a rebounder. Um, he was, honestly, yeah. He was really succeeding in that regard. Um, I would like him to uh, shore up um, his defensive uh, 
rotations and, um, you know, just staying in front of guys better um, because I don't, I did not, I think he sort of struggles sometimes to find the right defender um, and, or the right offensive player to defend. Um, there are anecdotally a couple of times where I think he struggles with that, but I think his body type could lend to like a good perimeter defender um, or at least a consistent one. But I just think yeah, uh, he needs to he needs to be a second offensive option. I know Marquette kind of played had Sakari and him and Brendan Bailey play well, um, but it was kind of by necessity, um, like it was desperation that Dick Ben, can you stop with the top work? <laughs> okay, that one no. was quiet. I was just no, it's so in it. so loud, dude. Not okay, quiet. I'm sorry. Tupperware. <laughs> Turn off uh, a mic or something, my dude. Uh, I'm taking care of I promise. Okay. Anyhow, Kobe McEwen, he needs to probably turn the ball over less, but he really needs to be a second secondary offensive option, especially because of stuff like the Purdue game where the best half of Marquette season was almost essentially – well, okay, the best half of Marquette season was USC. Um, but – Prior to that, the second best half of market season um, was basically entirely carried by Kobe McEwen. Um, and so I think having him, he needs to be a secondary offensive option for this team to sort of reach its potential and be able to win games like that Maryland game. Um, and being in a slump really exacerbated the struggles that market Howard was having because there wasn't a second ball handler to uh, pick up the slack offensively. Yeah, I'm more willing to just kind of, because I think I mentioned this on the Groomy that if you're in a slump over one of these Thanksgiving tournament games, it's probably yeah. going to be a slump for the whole weekend because, you know, it's not like practice time to get over it. So I'm not going to take as much from those three games as I would if those three games were each four days apart. Um, and Alan did make a great point. He Like the effort was there and that was kind of my effort. My, that was one of my concerns going into the year as well. He like was clearly out of it in his second year Utah State. So like the fact that he was showing that willingness to go for those defensive rebounds and I don't know, I'm not worried about it. It just kind of was every college player is going to have a bad game. So I'm not overly concerned. Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. Am I, are you... Sam, are you more concerned about Kobe McEwen or Theo John coming out of this weekend? Um, honestly, neither. Um, okay. I mean, you know, again, talk a friend of the pod, Alan um, Bukowski online, uh, did a really good thread about how for how inexplicable it was that the bigs at Marquette were struggling like they were on offense, especially because Wojo coached them at Duke or was apparently the assistant in charge of the bigs at Duke. Um, you know, maybe maybe they're not prototypical, quote-unquote, but even back in the day, there were more traditional bigs that Duke was recruiting. We weren't quite to the style of basketball where it was four in or four out, one in um, with a, a four-stretching four. Um and so it's kind of wild that our bigs are so offensively challenged at times. Um, 
you know, you can maybe make excuses for the Maryland game because they are going up against a trio of Jalen Smith and the Mitchell twins who are all very good um, size-wise defenders. Um, you know, Jalen Smith recorded three blocks. Um, I think all three of them were on Theo or maybe two on Theo, one on Ed Morrow. Um, but, you know, like the the big has never been, you know, with the exception of like Luke Fisher cleaning up really well in the glass um, or, uh, you know, like the, the post touches Luke Fisher would get on some of those earlier Wojo teams. You know, the, the big man has never really been an emphasis for the Wojciechowski offense. Um, you know, the foul troubles are the foul troubles. There's not much you can do about that. Um, you know, shout out Jace Johnson for coming in and having a very huge impact. I mean, he had 11 rebounds in the Maryland game, including five offensive rebounds, which is incredible. Um, yeah. Round of applause for our boy Jace. Yeah. Jace, was, Jace was incredible. I mean, he really like legitimately offered something that I don't think I've ever seen on a Steve Wojciechowski team. Like a big man. Dockage's wet dream out there. Dockage's best comment of the weekend. <laughs> I hate to say it, but like the and honestly, my dad came back and talked to me about it. Which dads like Dan Dockage, I feel like, so that's like pretty uh, standard. But like talking about how he was saying that Jace just likes being a center, and it's just like, yeah, that's like honestly the perfect way to say it because he. That's also the, the only thing he can be. Yeah, well, but he was just doing all the things that you want from a center who is not going to be a game changer as a as a scorer. Yeah. He was just doing all the little things, and it was incredible, especially in contrast to Ed Morrow, um, how well Jace was executing um, just, you know, the things that you need to do uh, to succeed at that position. And, yeah, I mean – I guess we can. We don't need to get too deep into the Ed Morrow. Um, Staple him to the bench. Done. That's it. That's all yeah. I want. I don't think you need to say too much because I think the the uh, issues are pretty freaking glaring. No. Um, but after that game on um, Sunday, uh, his turnover rate is up to forty three point nine percent. Holy Christ! What? Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, like. Yeah. More than four out of ten times he touches the ball, he turns it over. And, like, frankly, that I'm not even kidding. I almost physically mean find a way to restrain him to the bench. Because Jace Johnson gives you a way, way better option at this point. Which is something I never thought I'd say coming into the season. But Ed Morrow doesn't know how to keep a pivot foot. Ed Morrow, you know, recorded three defensive rebounds, 0 of 1 from the floor, two personal fouls, and three turnovers. Like, your turnovers can't be tied for your highest stat. That, that, like, you're not going to play winning basketball if one of your guys is, aver- or, like, is getting as many turnovers as he has rebounds. Like, Tell that to Tyshawn Taylor. That's a very, very obscure Kansas reference. I'm sorry. But, like... There's just absolutely no reason for Ed Morrow to see any bulk of minutes, period, at this point. Um, You know, it was even pointed out on Twitter and some of the pre-tournament hype-up videos, you know, last practice before uh, heading to Orlando, he was traveling in practice. Like, what what can you do, man? Like, he's a great dude. I'm glad he's on the team, but... He's been a liability, and 
the last thing Marquette needs is a big guy that isn't that big, who is was brought in to rebound and isn't rebounding and who can't stop turning the ball over. The team already struggles with turnovers. Like you can't just tack on an extra turnover forty percent of your possessions while he's out there. That that will lead to bad losses. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's honestly more depressing because you can say his name in conjunction with the song Tomorrow from Annie. Oh, God. No, that was such I a mean, bad joke. That's so terrible. Why are you doing this? Why are you? Um, no, I, I mean, I and, and my, my thing about the, the 43% thing, it should be higher. It's honestly, anytime he gets the ball in the post, you're basically like – playing Yahtzee with whether the... And that's not how you play Yahtzee, so that's a terrible... Yeah. You're flipping a coin. Even, I, don't even, yeah. I don't even know no, how to play it's Yahtzee. It's like, will the ref call the travel? Flip a coin. It's so unfathomable that this person has been a college basketball player for five years, and every time he decides that the possession is going to be used by him, it's just basically a travel roulette. It's so It's so crazy. I, I do not physically understand how that's possible. And then you tack that on to the plays where he's like, um, to use a contemporary Yoda or reference here, baby Yoda reaching for the Mandalorian's uh, arm wound when he tries to, you know, block. You're shot. spoiling the show. It really, that is not a spoiler for the show. That is, that's also a meme. Um, but no, he, he's, he like he's just out of reach of like every shot he should be at least changing and it's it's like i don't get and it's crazy because jace is in there now and jace is the perfect guy to fill those gaps where he reaches those shots gets those rebounds plays uh under control and within his role and I don't know. I, I don't really like I, I don't know how you tell a center who seems to be like a really good guy and a leadership type guy that he can't play anymore. But you can't play him. You cannot play him with with the level of, um, you know, commitment to traveling he has showed. And I, I don't I don't I really don't think there's much of a discussion to have and I don't want to I I don't like really disparaging players that seem like genuinely good people but it's just like I don't know what you do now because it's just a turnover every time he decides to take the possession um on the flip side Brendan Bailey has the 200th lowest qualifying turnover rate in division one basketball so told you hoes Brendan Bailey Brendan Bailey Hive coalesce around your leader Ben Snyder Mm. So, not to get too off track here, um, but just like looking at to reinforce Ben's Brandon Bailey hive, um, he had zero turnovers, two steals, and only one foul to six total rebounds in addition to his offense um, uh, against Maryland, which is the best team Marquette will play all season, or at least in the regular season. Like, that's a coming out game, man. If you can do that against every team we play, I mean, obviously the 27 points won't happen every game. Yes, it but, will. Well, okay. So you heard it here first from Ben. Please hold him to his take. But, you know, if he can score 15 a game, shoot 
50% from three on, you know, obviously less attempts than 12, um, get five rebounds, two steals, and an assist to one or two personal fouls per game, that's winning basketball for Marquette. Because, again, not everybody's going to have the personnel that Maryland had to shut down Marcus Howard. Um, so I, you, you got to hope that was the, the confidence booster he really needed and that it'll persist. Yeah, I mean, I think if you have Bailey and Annam playing at 75% of what they were in the Maryland game and Marcus Howard playing at, you know, whatever he conventionally contributes um, and Kobe McEwen at least has some sort of offensive confidence, you have a really potent offensive attack there. Um, whether the plans are good enough to make that all happen at the same time is probably probably worth considering if that's even possible in this uh, current uh, regime. But uh, yeah, I, I just think in general, um, Marquette's figuring out the center position. Um, I'm, I, I, I don't know if you guys sense this at all. I'm sensing that there's a little lack of confidence in Theo John being portrayed by Steve Wojciechowski. Um, I think he's gone away from Theo a lot more um, especially over this past week than we've seen in the past. Um, and if you look at what Theo did against Purdue when he played 34 minutes and was like a complete X factor, I think this team is ultimately going to be at its best when Theo John is playing 26, 28 minutes. Jace Johnson is playing the you know, lion's share of the remainder. Um, and so I'm a little frustrated. Obviously a lot of Theo's issues were contributed, were explainable by fouls and lack of rhythm associated with that. But I really do think that Wojo needs to commit to Theo as a, as the highest upside guy because of what he contributes as a defender. And I guess potentially he does as an offensive player. Um, I think Wojo might have gotten discouraged by the way he wasn't able to finish through Jalen Smith on those first couple of possessions. Um, which, yeah, I mean, frustrating. It's a weird. It's a little weird. Like the way he like approaches the rim on those. It's like he's trying to like do a dunk land. He's not really like trying to to smash a dunk. But he's not really like shooting a layup either. He's he's trying to almost like dunk on the backboard where he should put his layup. To me, it looked like, and I think the very first position where Jalen Smith just absolutely swatted the ball out of his hands was the perfect representation of that. To me, it looks like he's being told to put the ball literally on the rim, like balance it yeah. on the rim. And, yeah. uh, you know, believe it or not. That's a that's not a sound offensive strategy. Um, <laughs> well, it can draw fouls sometimes, but I just think his his offensive approach needs to be a little bit more nuanced in those situations. Like he needs to be able to read what's happening in front of him and calculate the appropriate way to finish. You know, as he's doing that. And just a like a thought that popped into my head just now. Um, it really doesn't look like Marquette has any form of, like, not just post-offense. I mean, obviously, we're a guard and wing-heavy team. Um, 
you know, we can debate the how good or bad that is and how many touches should be going to uh, the big guys. Um, obviously, I think we all agree that more um, should be going through there. Um, but uh, one thing that I think we lack is all three of our big guys really don't even have post moves. Like, Jace is just bigger than everybody and kind of puts it up off the backboard, hoping it goes in. Ed tries to get really fancy and travels. He, he tries to move too much. And Theo, besides, like, kind of a one-handed hook jumper thing, besides that and actually, like, dunking the ball, doesn't really have a post move. And even, they don't, none of them really even have convincing shot fakes. Like, the best shot fakes I see are off of offensive rebounds that Theo will go get. He'll, and it's almost just, like, part of the natural, like, I got the offensive rebound collect and go back up movement instead of like a true, like post shot fake. I'm um, going to kind of sort of disagree with you there. Cause I mean, Theo John, like really on the Theo John front, cause like he was in the top 200 as a six, nine center freshman last year in two point percentage. Like when he gets the ball, like in, he doesn't really need to do much more than dunking. He's one of the five strongest guys in the entire country, pound for pound, probably. Like, Jalen Smith is probably the only guy who can legitimately back him down. So, like, and he and then he does have that one post move when he needs it. Like, I don't think he needs to develop this incredibly polished post game to be a useful, if not a really good player. He just kind of needs to be stronger than most people without fouling. That's kind of long and short of it for him. Well, I want to, cause I want to push back on that, but I think I want to explain why I want that to happen. Um, yeah. So he did lead in percentage. Now, um, if I'm Googling here really quick and by Googling, I mean, Ken Palming, um, the Google of college basketball. So he had, I mean, he had 71 makes on 118 attempts, which is very good. Ed Morrow had more attempts and more makes um, for a, a worse percentage, mind you. Um, and, you know, I mean, obviously Marcus Howard took 302 shots. Like, what can you do about that? Joey Hauser took 131 shots. Or that's just two-pointers, I should say. Like, Joey Hauser took more two-pointers than him. Sam Hauser took more two-pointers than him. Sakar Annam took way more two-pointers than him. Um, I'm not going to read too much into his percentage because like over the course of what, 34 games, um, he took 118 two point shots and zero three pointers, you know, shocker there. So you do some quick math and that's what two shots a game, three shots a game. Um, so I'm not going to read too much into how efficient or not he was with that. But the reason I think he needs a more polished post game, and the reason I think Marquette's bigs need a more polished post game, is actually because I'm not sure Wojo is capable of teaching that, and that leads to a, a bigger point where Wojo doesn't run a complex offense. He doesn't like you guys were talking earlier about you know it was sort of just run Marcus along the baseline with a couple screens and hope he gets open, give him one pick and roll possession and let him hit a jumper off of it. Um, if he gets doubled, hope to God he can pass out of it. Uh, there's a lot of very basic fundamentalist like offense that happens with Wojo. But there's really not like super creative sets or really even an, 
emphasis on like doing anything more complex than be I mean like be better obviously you want to be better but like hope your individual ball handling and screening skills and slashing skills are better than the opposing defense there's not like there was a really good I forget the account off the top of my head but there's a really good account that breaks down like what Matt Painter runs at Purdue with a bunch of really good motion um, uh, screens. Is it, is it Jordan Sperber? Jordan Sperber. Jordan Sperber's uh, offense gifs are awesome. So watch stuff like that. And like, you can see how, like, I, I think both the crack sidewalk guys um, and paint touches were harping on, like, if Wojo can implement some of this motion in the offense, you know, Marcus is going to get a ton of open shots. It'll play to the strengths of Bailey and to Sakar and to, you know, like, there was even, uh, I forget who was talking about running, Ben, it may have even been you, running action for, like, Theo John, just, like, going to the rim and lofting it up for a, an alley-oop. Um, was that you or no? Stop me. Uh, that Yeah, that was me. And, yeah, it's more about the action itself more than Theo John developing the post game. I, I agree, but, like, we haven't seen any sets that do any of that. You know, I... I almost like I remember one of the first years Wojo was head coach. I was watching from the stands and went, I think I ran that set in middle school. And there's just, you know, there, there, there's very basic fundamental offense, which, you know, he's had ridiculous shot makers and guys that can create a lot of spacing and benefit from that spacing, like the Hauser brothers last year, where, you know, that you have elite shooters that benefit from that type of floor spacing. But as soon as you don't have that, or at least, you know, it took until Sunday for Brendan to really start feeling that. Um, like, the offense has been clunky because we don't actually really have much of an offense. And so I'd like to see them develop post moves, not only to distribute the ball out a little bit more, you know, make people respect that threat more, but also it would indicate to me that Wojo is teaching more complex offense or the staff is teaching more complex and creative and um, effective offense than just hope to God you play better on that individual possession than your defender. Well, I, I think that kind of brings a discussion full circle because I mean, what I said at the top about where I was feeling is that I just don't think um, there's enough regular planning um, displayed um, that would tell you that this team is going to be able to make adjustments on the fly and I think you've seen how the team has played in, in big must-win games um, when sort of your individual plan or adjustment is so important uh, to the ultimate outcome in sort of a tight window like an NCAA tournament game. Um, I just, I'm not, I'm, I've never been and I remain not confident in their ability to do that kind of stuff you're talking about because you're right, like the stuff that Jordan Sperber tweets, I sent one to our chat about the Gonzaga um, motion that they were running it's it's really complex stuff and that stuff exists um, but I just don't think you know this regime has showed a commitment to that um, or an interest in that really much at all I think Sam Hauser I think I think there there is something there I mean like the dribble handoffs are are a part of that I, I like that a lot um, and you know there's been like horns action in the past um, that's been used quite a bit. So I, I don't think they're completely devoid of it, but I don't think that they'll ever be on the cutting edge of it, which if you're going to try to be a better team than you are overall, 
Um, you kind of need some of that. And, and especially in, you know, big games, one game samples. Um, and I'm not sure that that's ever going to really be a thing with this program. Yeah. And I mean, like, I'm not out here calling for the heads of staff or anything. It's just, Oh, no, yeah, we, yeah, I don't think we are. No, but it's just, it, it doesn't inspire confidence. And when you've already lost what has made your offense elite, um, I mean, you still return Marcus Howard, but you've lost what major offense tick in shot makers that just benefit from space that don't need an innovative, more nuanced offense. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's sort I, I of don't just, think, I don't think we're being overly critical at all. I mean, no, I, I'm not. I'm not saying you are. It's just that, like, it's yeah. really putting a glaring spotlight on, like, what is he going to do going forward, especially when you lose you know, the best score in Marquette history and potentially, you know, the best score yeah. in Big East history. Like, well, I think we're, I think we're all worried about that. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, yeah, there's the normal fears, but like there's a lot uh, to his system offensively. I, I think defense is another matter. And I, I'm actually been very, very impressed with this defense, but um, it, it gives me some pause. And, you know, at the end of the day, if we're going to win by playing rock fights, that's fine. It's just, uh, you know, you better hope that you don't run into a Maryland who's just that elite offensively, who then, because of your basic offense, um, can shut you down. Like, I, at some point, you can't get, you either can't get shut down by that team, you have to have something more complex than whatever we ran, or you can't, you have to be able to defend just that much better. And, um, you know, that probably won't matter. I think we're going to womp on KSU. That's just me. Maybe I was just going to say, yeah. speaking of rock fights. Yeah, that's that's going to be worse than the Purdue game. But, um, you know, like, without, like, it, it won't be a problem again then until Villanova on January 4th or Seton Hall a couple weeks afterwards. Um, you know, it, that... But that when you run up against an elite offense, you either have to defend that well or hope to God your basic offense can get you over the hump of their defense. And it's kind of like the Ed Morrow travel calls. Sometimes it just feels like a coin flip and it does not inspire confidence. Yeah. Um, I think I think we've said enough about... Um... Yeah, we, we might have gone a little bit in too deep about uh, the three game tournament from this last week. Well, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know your point, but I think we've also just been handed the most sort of in game fodder we've possibly had so far. So I think it's it's worth at least a deep examination. But I think you're right to say that, like you mentioned, with the Kobe slump, stuff will not necessarily per- perpetuate throughout the season that you know exists within the four-day, three-game vacuum of hanging out in Orlando and, you know, playing in a hotel all week. I think um, quickly, though, yeah. just very, very quickly before we move on to K-State, it just needs to be mentioned again that Marcus Howard, for the third time in his career, scored 50 points in a game. Yeah, he's pretty good, man. It's pretty when he, good. When, when I, the, I, I just feel like, I just feel like we should quickly end on that play. to emphasize that we are all still feeling optimistic about this team. Yeah, yeah, I think we're all okay with it. I think we're all sort of realizing at the same time that, you know, this team has limitations, and right now they're not in a place to overcome them. 
Um, so do we want to do like maybe like five quick minutes on K-State? I do want to talk about Georgetown and yeah. Georgetown being a disaster. Um, yeah, I would like to first uh, say regarding the K-State game that I will be going to the oh. game. Our live so, reporter on the scene. Anonymous Eagle hits the road. I will be making the two-hour drive to the Little Apple if any single Marquette person is even near the Manhattan area. Uh, you, you're not. It's not even worth saying hit me up because there's just no one there. Um, but yeah, I will be there for a team that... or. This game is just going to be... It's going to be gross. Um, It's going to be gross. Yeah. So so K-State, they've kind of... They've had some roster adjustments, and Bruce Weber has essentially responded by saying, we're going to go with an ugly version of Bob Huggins by saying all turnovers all the time. And even when we get those turnovers, we're still not going to score on them. Because I was going to say, what? Bob Huggins' teams were so much better on offense than this. Yeah, no, even in transition, Kansas State is not good. Like, in transition, they're still scoring less than a point per possession, which is just bonkers to think about, Yeah, especially yeah. if you're doing it that much. They have Cardi Ajara, Xavier Sneed, and McCole Maywean that are basically the three main guys that returned from last year. I kind of like McCole Maywean. He's a pretty skilled big he's lanky not that strong i don't think theo john will have that much issue with him but he was probably the only guy that gave marquette fits last year um barry brown is not going to be there to hound on marcus howard at the beginning of the game but it's going to be they're going to put a lot of pressure on marcus howard and they are still pretty good at defense so yeah Yeah, i mean it's it's, it's, it's an elite defense i would like to point out that to the people Listening, so we reference Ken Palm all the time, um, you know, at the, Ma- the Magic Numbers website. Um, so what, what would you guys say is the average offensive rating? It's supposed to be 100, right? 100 yeah, is it like, literally is 100. Yeah, so 100 offensive rating, so how basically how effective you're being as an offensive player is the average. Kansas State has one player above average, and it's Mike McGurl, who is taking... 11.4% of their shots. But there is w- exactly one player on that team that is above an average offensive player for D1 basketball. It Yikes. is going to be a rock fight. <laughs> First one to like 43 wins. Yeah, like, like if we score 50, we're probably going to win this basketball game. And we're yeah. going to be we're going to be dri- my dad and I are going to be driving during like the KU game and my poor dad is just going to want to watch Kansas basketball, but is going to have to subject himself to this garbage. <laughs> right. Um, but I mean, it's just, yeah. You know, the, the, the um, scrambled eggs guys harped on the fact that they're going to turn Marquette over a lot, which is a scary proposition, especially away from home. Um, yep. That's, that's where I think the game will be decided is how much can Marquette minimize that. Right. The octagon I, of doom will be rocking. Just like it's going to be. I don't even know good wrestling puns to make here. Like Pat, help me out. Um, well, first, speaking of jokes, um, I would just like to point out that while their offense may be unappealing, um, they are currently on the sexiest losing streak alive. Yeah, having, dude. 
having lost to Brad Pitt over the last two games. In reverse order, come on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, but but you can't you can't pass on the chance to to do the Brad Pitt joke. I remember that being a thing when I was like twelve. That one time when those Scr- two teams... scrambled eggs already beat you to it, so we should really? have recorded last it. night. Oh, <laughs> of course they did. No, it's good. It's pretty no, obvious. But yeah, so they they lost at or on a neutral court to the fighting Brian Brian Wardles of Bradley. Um, God, I really yep, I pronounced his last name right. Okay, good. Um. You know, they lost by 13 to Bradley on a neutral court. They lost by, you know, four to Pittsburgh on a neutral court. And Pittsburgh's not exactly supposed to set the world on fire this year. Their best win is... to Nichols State. Yeah. Um, the, The best win for Kansas State this year is an overtime win at UNLV. That that is that that's it. That's the list. And this is this is not your father's yeah. UNLV team. Yeah, th- th- this is this is in the, not 1991. Um, that I just I can't look at this game and not go. We have to beat the crap out of them, or at least win convincingly. You know, K State makes 61 percent of their free throws. Yeah, it's what a nothing. And I'm I'm checking really quick. Yeah, like Pitt is probably the best defense they've played at. Um, 63rd in the country. Marquette's defense is the 36th best defense in the country right now. It's looking real bad, folks. Yeah, like, I cannot emphasize enough that, like, if we lose at Kansas State, I have serious questions about this team. So and, if I, you, and if you cancel your Saturday plans to watch this game, I have serious questions about your social life. Yeah, I'm going to have it on in the background while I do other things. And hope to God I don't hear, well, Marquette's down late in the game. So, uh, in a rousing finish, Kansas State wins 36-34. to 34. Jesus. Yeah, at that point, I might just be like, okay, can we cancel the rest of the year? And just, can we let fun teams play at that point? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do we have any other big points on Kansas State here? No, no, I mean but... don't don't lose to Jacksonville on Wednesday, and yeah. don't... don't lose to Jacksonville. Great, great mascot though for Jacksonville if you're unaware. The, dol- of it. the Dolphins, isn't the it? Dolphins, yeah. Dolphins, man, great mascot. Nice um, little NFL mix match. Yeah, totally. But I just in general, oh yeah, no, I see what you did there. Yeah, good point. But also, hey, I just think sweet mascot. Um, do you want to laugh at Georgetown for two minutes? I don't know. We shouldn't probably laugh too hard. I'm com- I'm commiserating with Georgetown right now, but. At the same time, so for those who don't know, I'll, I'll lead us in. I'll lead us into this. Um, as of about an hour. two hours, an hour and a half, two hours minutes before we started taping. Yeah. Um, Georgetown lost both James Akinjo and Josh LeBlanc from the team. Now, some sources are saying they are transferring. Other sources are just the the official statement was just that they are no longer on the team. And will not be playing anymore this year. Um, I I will not address any speculation or rumors, but losing your starting point guard and elite one of your few elite offensive players, and then losing a super talented sophomore who had made huge strides as a freshman and was poised to be their starter um, at the three or the four um, in Josh LeBlanc is also not good. To do it in one go, even worse. Um, you know, you could you can talk about the wording and say it's not a transfer. It's, you know, some other issue going on um, without addressing speculation. But 
Georgetown lost two elite offensive and one and a half very good defenders um, for the rest of the year in a year where they were supposed to take the next step. And uh, that's a big old yikes. Man, I can't imagine that happening to a team. Uh, to be fair, we lost like one defender. 1.05. 1.05 defenders. <laughs> At least um, Joey was tall. Right. Um, but, you know, that's that's sort of it in the Big East news. Um, yeah. Well, Providence still sucks. Well, can we replace Providence? Really can, can, we, can we switch Providence for Dayton, please? Ooh. Oh, yeah. Prov- how's it? Friendship how's, with Providence how's is Andy not getting, like, his mentions blown up with people saying, why couldn't we have taken Dayton in the Big East? Yeah. That, like, hap- that, ha- that would happen. I would rather have Dayton when... in Connecticut. Same. Wow. Kind of. That's a take. Not um, close. Give me Obi Top. And... <laughs> well, we won't have him after this year, regardless. So. You're right. Um, no, but yeah, Pro- Providence looks real bad. Um, they are currently 5 and 4. Uh, with losses to Northwestern, Penn, Long Beach State, and Charleston. And a three-point win over Pepperdine to salvage whatever tournament they played in out in Anaheim. Shout out Lorenzo Romar. Shout out Lorenzo (laughs) Romar. Go Waves. Um, But yeah, like the, the best win they have this year is St. Peter's at home? No. I guess it's Saint technically the, the the fighting peacocks. I guess technically the best win they have this year is that Pepperdine Great Katie win. Perry song, by the way. <laughs> I mean, nor- Northwest Northwestern yeah, notoriously lost to Merrimack. Like you can't lose to Northwestern. Yeah. Even no. even though Providence did beat up on Merrimack a couple days later. Um, I think I think the point we're trying to get at is DePaul is the best team in the Big East. Uh, I mean, DePaul is currently projected to go eight and ten in conference, which is wild. Um, yeah, that's true. It's funny because everyone's talking about like ranking them, but like even if they did finish eight and ten, it would be just like such a wild improvement for them that like all this talk about like oh there ain't no. It's like well if they go five hundred and make the NIT, that's probably a big deal anyway. Right. I'm still um, just uh, my favorite. One of my favorite articles to write every year is I try to do one of the DePaul previews, and I just get to unload on how much I hate how worthless they are. That's all. That's, well, I mean, you know, I'm looking at the Big East standings right now. Um, Crate, shout out to Creighton for getting a win over Texas Tech, but granted, Texas Tech looks lost right now. Um, yeah, having lost Chris Beard. I just don't think the talent's there yet. Oh yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty explainable. I mean, yeah. they lost a lot of a lot of talent, and that team was so cohesive that, you know. They struggled to score when Culver wasn't playing really well, and now that Culver isn't there, I mean, I don't think it's surprising at all. They still got Davide. I mean, okay, I know that dude's like really one-dimensional. My thought is, if you have one European on your team, then you're probably like really good, and I can just assume that. I don't know. It's it's a it's a very poor correlation that I make, but it's one that I do every single March when I'm filling out my bracket. That's a. the, the inside into Ben's brain, everyone. <laughs> um, that's, you know, that's, a, that's a scary. That's a scary thought. I said I'm just glancing around the Big East really quick. Uh, Seton Hall lost to Oregon, um, and then came back and won two games in Atlantis. Um, Nova has when the most predictable comeback happened when Oregon was down like what nineteen. 
Oh, yeah. that was so sad. Uh, you just, you so just hate to see it. World's saddest vi- or world's smallest violin in my hands right now. Yeah, um, extremely, extremely uh, 1-800-CONTACTS voice. My brand for Seton Hall. Wow, nice. Look at the throwback from that. That's yeah. why I, I love that reference. Anyway. I mean, yeah, Nova still hasn't convinced me in a win yet in terms of, like, they've won every game they should have, and then, like, they got whomped by Ohio State and then lost to Baylor. Um, so, you know, Nova hasn't done anything to, like, tell me that they're going to be really good yet. Um, shout out to Butler, undefeated. Um, don't really have a huge marquee win. They, you know, they Missouri um, in Kansas City. Um, whomped Missouri, yeah. and that was like a, that was a legit like home crowd too. Yeah, like and then, that that should not be considered a neutral game because it's considered semi away according to um, Ken Palm. Um, yeah, Missouri had to drive like two hours, and every single Mizzou grad lives in Kansas City or St. Louis. Right. So uh, shout out to Kamar Baldwin, who everybody wrote off, who went absolutely nuclear in that game. Um, at the end of it, yeah, where he, he just great onions took over. Yeah. Um. Or not in the Missouri game. So the next game they played was Stanford. also in was Stanford, and Kamar Baldwin won it on a a, a last second jumper. Um, yeah, that, was, that was nice. They go to Old Miss um, on Tuesday, and then actually host Florida on Saturday. Old, old Piss now, as it's officially called. Put them topical. Good one. Uh, but so yeah, I you know butler has Ole miss away florida at home and baylor away as its next three games so we'll see you know, butler finally they're number what 24 um in the nation according to the ap poll now so we'll see how legit they look after the next run of three um that'll that'll be very interesting uh st john's hasn't done anything of note yet xavier just lost to florida in its tournament that's the only loss they have allowed the, the offense for Xavier at times has looked very unconvincing. Uh, Giannis just dunked all over Julius Randle. I hate to see that. Oh, my God. It's beautiful. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think the Big East, I, a defining factor of it and something that will be true again this year is we will learn a lot about it over the course of time that we don't really know coming in exactly what it is. Um, and it'll shake itself out. I think it'll shake itself out a lot more evenly this year than in years past. Um, right. But I'm still definitely excited for it. Right. And uh, I think, should we wrap there? Well, I mean, you know, I, the only thing that worries me about how the Big Beast has played so far is that it's going to be a bloodbath in conference because the teams all, or at least like the top six, all seem like they can beat each other on any given day. Um, I'm going to reserve judgment on um, DePaul and Creighton, maybe. I think that there's a clear bottom now with Providence, Georgetown, and St. John's. Um, you know, but that's kind of bad for the Big East and that there's not going to be really, like, a team that goes two and... Uh, I just blanked on my math. There's not a team that's going to be, like, two and 16 in conference, you know? Or three and seven, or three and uh, fifteen. Like, there's not going to be somebody that everybody can beat up on um, and get some easy wins. And so, you know, it's going to come down to like if it if the standings are like Villanova, Hall, Butler, Marquette, Xavier, like with DePaul and Creighton sort of like right behind them. The Big East might get less teams because of how bloodthirsty the conference is um, into the tournament, especially because. 
we really haven't played super well on, in the out of conference. So um, that's kind of worrisome. I really hope that, you know, the bottom three really do tank hard and let the top seven sort of get their wins. Um, so we can hopefully see, you know, six teams in instead of four. Yeah, I think I think the best case scenario, regardless, is something that incentivizes Marquette um, and, you know, leads to um, quality wins within the conference just as a setup, as a factor, the setup of the conference. Um, and I think we're going to get that this year, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, right. Anything else? Uh, How's Thanksgiving? I spent it oh, in Milwaukee, so. Thanksgiving was great. I had great food. I had leftovers for lunch at work today. It was awesome. Oh, you gotta love it's that. Like the best part about Thanksgiving. I got a whole pan of sweet potatoes left over. Oh, yeah. I'm just gonna had... mow them down after this chicken. I had the uh, I had the very traditional Thanksgiving meal of chips and salsa and a frozen pizza. Uh, oh God, I didn't stuff. even think about. That. Yeah, you didn't go home. That sucks. I did. I did not. Um, um, well, I need to go watch Rashad Penny run all over some folks because uh, Chris Carson got a nasty looking concussion. So, uh, oh, he's back in. Never mind. <laughs> love so love the NFL. That dude just got a horrible concussion. Oh, wait, no. He's back in. Good. Yeah. At any rate, oh, that's a great way to – that's a good note to end this on, I would say. Well, um, Seattle Sea sucks. Hey, hey, got hey. Him. Kansas got City him. debatably um, co-opting Native American mascots. Uh, they, it's uh, not very it debatable. Was, it was named Chiefs after the mayor. The mayor was called like the chief of Kansas City, oh, and wow. he had no notable Native American That's, heritage. You, you play totally an Arrowhead Stadium, but... called Arrowhead Stadium. <laughs> uh, we're waiting for that Arrowhead water sponsorship. There you go. Yeah, trying to cash we're in. We're trying those very hard. Water influencers. Um. All right, Ben, ben Kansas City Chiefs apologist. Yeah. <laughs> We'll be back. We'll be back uh, next week with some great rock fight Kansas State takes. How about that? Hopefully, Hell it's yeah. all.